Well, how is everyone? Good. It's good to see you. Uh, we are in our second week of our sermon series that we've entitled Finding God. And so if you're relatively new to Hope, you may have seen me around a little bit. I was on the loop and uh, the website a little bit. Uh, but if you are a longtime Hope member and you've been looking at me kind of funny, like I should know that guy. Where do I know that guy from? It's because I used to work here. So I used to work here for about seven years um, before leaving to go to plant a church in Asheville in the mountains of North Carolina. And my family and I, I handed off leadership to that church. It's still going strong. Uh, but we returned back to the Piedmont in November to partner again with Hope. And so while I was here the first time, I led some worship. Uh, then I helped launch the uh, Holly Springs campus. It's now become the campus that you guys know as Apex. Um, and I taught on the weekends a few times a year. So uh, for those of you that have been looking at me kind of funny the past few weeks, that's why. Uh, I have a long history with Hope. I actually said I do to my beautiful bride, Jenny, right here on the stage. We don't do that anymore, don't ask, but I got to. So got married here. Um, I fell in love with the local church here at Hope Community Church. My daughters, they're 9 and 10 now, uh, but they learned how to climb stairs and the steps in the atrium at the Raleigh campus back there. Um, and then I gave my first ever sermon from this stage as well, which I would really encourage you to never look up, and I hope that it is uh, buried in some internet graveyard somewhere. Uh, so hear me when I say it is good to be back home, and I mean that. Um, so thank you. Uh, but we do have a lot of work to do. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. It's the second book in the New Testament, if you're kind of beginning with the Bible. And if you have to look in the table of contents, no one's going to judge you. I still have to from time to time. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, it'll be on the side screens as well. But let's be honest, I can put whatever I want up there. So get in the habit of bringing your Bible to hold me accountable. But um, as I said, we are in uh, the second week of our series that we're, we've been calling Finding God, where we're looking at the journey or the steps that people take that move them from exploring with God uh, to beginning with God to close to God and eventually God-centered. And so we came up with those five categories, uh, those four categories, because of uh, something that we called the reveal study. And it's a study that we took along with hundreds of other churches and literally hundreds of thousands of other people that really revealed that most people in our churches can be in one of those four categories. And it didn't just show us that, but this study also really brought to light things that helped people move onto the next step or the next categories. And so we're looking at these categories, but we're also looking at the things or the influences or the practices that really make the difference between someone taking that next step or getting stalled in one of the first three categories. So last week, Mike um, talked about that exploring with God category. And we learned that the difference between someone who is just exploring, between the person that is uh, beginning their relationship with God, is uh, that capital G word, grace. It's the realization that there's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor, that he has actually done everything needed for our forgiveness in and through Jesus, and all we have to do is accept that free gift. In fact, uh, many of you may have accepted that free gift even last week. Uh, but it's that realization that moves us from exploring God to beginning with God. And so Mike asked me to preach this week um, on beginning with God, that second step. So what does that second step in the journey look like? where a person moves from beginning with God to close to God. Uh, you know, Mike talked about it like a relationship last week. And when you're just exploring, that relationship hasn't really started. But once you begin with God, you're in the first few phases of a lifelong relationship. So what is that like? What keeps that relationship growing 
and thriving. Well, to review, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And I remember it's in this chapter that Jesus gives his famous parable, the parable of the sower. Um, and so he gives it to thousands of people, and uh, they go ahead and leave and head to the Golden Corral or something like that. And the disciples pull Jesus aside and say, hey, that was a really great parable. There's one problem. I have no idea what it meant. Could you explain it to us? And so Jesus, in his grace, explains to us what that parable means. And it's in verse 14. Read this with me. The sower sows the word. That's who the sower is. And these are the ones along the path. This is that category of exploring God. Where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word um, that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. This is that second category beginning with God. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among the thorns. This is that third category of close to God. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil, this is that last category, God-centered, are the ones who, who uh, hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold. And a hundredfold. And so in that parable, we can see these four categories. And not only that, but we can also see the problems that the enemy, Satan, tries to bring into these people's lives to try to get them to stall out or to stop growing or to not take that next step. Uh, when you're exploring God and thinking about um, taking that step of believing in Jesus and starting a relationship with him, uh, Satan's going to do everything in his power to take away that seed, um, to take away that knowledge of God's grace. And so he's going to try to convince you that God is this hard-hearted, judgmental, irrelevant guy kind of staring down at you from heaven with disappointment and with anger. Satan's going to do everything in his power to try to get you to think of God as anything but graceful or merciful. He'll, he'll do everything in his power to make sure that that gospel seed doesn't land and start to put down roots and grow. But if that gospel seed can somehow put out roots— and that realization of God's grace take hold and that relationship with God actually begin, then Satan kind of switches tactics. And you can see this in verses 16 and 17. This is our group that we're talking about here today. It says, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. And so this is the group of people that have begun their relationship with Jesus. They've had that aha moment about God's grace and his free gift of salvation, and their lives are eternally changed. But he goes on, it says, they have no roots in themselves, but endure for a while. And then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, it's at this point, at the very beginning part of your relationship with God, where things get a little bit um, tricky. So if you're a Christ follower here today, just think, think back to that moment that you accepted Jesus or began following. Think back to that, that, that first few weeks or those first few months. At first, it's amazing, isn't it? And I love walking with men and women through this first phase because the gratefulness and thankfulness to Jesus is so strong. Uh, there's so much passion. There's so much excitement. Uh, we can't read the Bible enough. We can't worship enough. We can't pray enough. We're in church every Sunday. We're volunteering for like four different ministries at the same time, right? It's an amazing first few days or weeks or sometimes months, but eventually 
that new excitement wears off a little bit and you find yourself in this really new and kind of weird position. Here's what happens. Like, like you know you're a sinner. That's kind of like the starting point for getting in a relationship with God, right? You know that you're broken and you know that you're in need of help. That's why you reached out for a savior. But it's at this point where you begin to think, I'm a lot more messed up than I thought I was. Like when I look at the demands of scripture and my life, there is a huge gap in there. And then right when you have that realization, you also have another realization. It's this, that God is actually pretty intent on not letting you stay that way. So he actually wants you to change. He wants you to stop doing certain things and start doing things and become more like Jesus. And that's a big realization to have. Uh, But at first, when you kind of have this realization, you're like, all right, I'm gonna get to work on this. And so maybe you wrote down some lists, like stuff I will stop doing forever and stuff I'm gonna start doing from now on. You kind of put your head down and you get to work only a few days later to kind of bring your head up and realize, wow, that's, that's a little bit hard. That's a lot more difficult than I thought it was. But you put on some positive encouraging, like Caleb, Christian music or something, and then uh, you make some more promises and you start to work harder only to come to the conclusion a few weeks or a few months later that this, this transformation, this becoming more like Jesus, it's not just a little difficult, it is very difficult. Like very, very difficult, almost impossible. And what Jesus is saying in this parable is that that. That feeling of this might be impossible. I don't know if I can ever change or I don't know if I can continue this process. That right there, that's where Satan's gonna go on the attack. That's right where Satan wants you to stay. You see, in this category, the enemy, Satan, he can't steal the gospel away from you. It's already landed, it's in the soil, it's begin to put out some short little roots, but what Satan can do is he can make the soil of your heart a hard place for that gospel to grow and to eventually bear fruit. You see, this season, this beginning with God season, it's all about the character of the soil. You see that in verse 16. It says, these are the ones that are sown on rocky ground. They have no root in and of themselves. The other three categories don't even mention soil unless it's to say that it's good soil. And so during this season, God wants that seed to grow, but the soil is a hindrance to that. Anybody have bad soil in their backyard? Like there's old roots in there. There's lots of clay. There's rocks. There's stones. There's old beer cans from like five years ago that need to get out. Just my backyard, okay. Um, But the soil's hard. It's compact, it doesn't hold water. And so what needs to happen is for that soil to be loosened, for those rocks to be removed, for for some space to be made for that seed to send down a taproot deep underground where it can get its needed water and its nutrients and really begin to thrive. And so this season of beginning with God, it's not really about bearing fruit yet. Like you're still gonna have some and we're working towards that end goal. But this season is about soil preparation. It's about heart transformation. It's about making your heart a place where the word can land and grow and thrive. And so it's after a few weeks or a few months of beginning this relationship with God that you realize there's a battle happening. There's an actual war going on between sometimes Jesus and Satan, but most of the time between us and the Holy Spirit. There's this battle going on and the battleground is actually our hearts. And God wants to till the soil and Satan wants to keep it just the way it is. And God wants to change your heart, but Satan wants to stop him from doing that. So what you do when this realization happens will determine 
whether you move on to that next category of close to God or whether you stall out or you go backwards. So you'll either come to a decisive moment, you'll make a decision, I'm gonna allow God to continue the process of this soil preparation or this heart transformation or you won't. And the main tool, think of it like the garden hoe or the rake or the spade, the main tool that God uses to ready your heart is the word of God. It's the Bible. Uh, the people in the reveal study that were in this category and they were progressively getting closer to close with God, um, the, kind of the categorical statement that, that defined them was this. I strongly agree that the Bible is the inspired word of God and should dictate every decision. That's what they said. I strongly agree that the Bible is the inspired word of God and should dictate every decision. That's a big statement. That's a powerful statement. These are people saying, I've tried living my way, now I'm gonna go with God's way. The, the people that are progressing in this season are people that have said and have decided, I want the soil of my heart to change. I want to change into a person that obeys your word, God, in every single domain of my life. I understand it may be uncomfortable, it may be a process, but I'm in. And they allowed God to work in their hearts by using his word. That's what this beginning with God process is all about. And in a church like ours, that is so blessed with just this supernatural ability to love people right where they're at. In an outward focused church like Hope, I know there's hundreds, and I might even hazard a guess of upwards of a thousand people that have just recently begun their walk with Jesus, which is just amazing. If you weren't here last week, Mike talked about grace and gave people the opportunity to accept that free gift. And we had tons of people begin their relationship with God even last week, which is amazing, right? It's what I love about our church. A lot of churches, I can't say that. So some of you just began your relationship last weekend. Uh, some of you a few months ago, some of you maybe began it early in life and kind of set it aside and concentrate, uh, to concentrate on other things. And you've recently come back for a fresh restart. And so I know a lot of you are in this category. And so today I just want to have a conversation with you. I was thinking back to when I just began with Jesus. And I don't know if you know my story at all. If you've been here a while, you've probably heard it. But I don't have like a squeaky clean kind of pastor story. Um, I came to know Jesus at a very early age and then just did it my way for about 20, 21 years. And the path that I walked took me into drugs and alcohol and addiction and broken relationships and really just rock bottom. But I remember uh, when I began that relationship with God afresh from the start. And there's just a few things that made the difference. That's why I'm here today. There's just a, just a few mindsets that I want to share with you. I wish someone would have sat me down earlier and said, hey, here's three things you need to concentrate on or believe, but I want to share that with you. Just a few mindsets that you need to adopt to really thrive in this stage that really helped me thrive, to get through the tribulation and the persecution that Jesus says is going to come. So I want to speak directly with you kind of beginning in Jesus um, right now. Uh, for those of you still exploring with God, we're glad you're here. Consider this a sneak peek of what uh, the next phase of your life could look like. And for those of you that have been walking with Jesus for years and years, and you're kind of in the close to God category, the God-centered, I think you'll agree afterwards that this is just going to be a good reminder of some of these foundational principles. So um, with your Bible open to Mark, go ahead and flip on over to Romans. Okay, Romans chapter 2. 12. It's the sixth book in the New Testament. And I just want to dig into a few verses. Just the first few verses, just a few short sentences. And I want to give you three paradigms or mindsets that you're going to need to have during this season. But if you just keep these in mind, 
If you just remember these three truths and put a little bit of effort, you're gonna be progressing into the third category, close with God, in no time. So as you're turning there, Romans, it was written by a guy named Paul um, to a church that met, can you guess what city it met in? Rome, yeah, met in Rome. And uh, these, are, these are relatively new believers, most of the church. In fact, it's ironic. Um, I don't know if it's ironic. I don't know what that word really means, but it's funny um, that Paul uh, made it his life goal to preach the gospel in the capital city where the gospel had never been preached. I'm gonna go to the Rome. I'm gonna share uh, the gospel and I'm going to set up churches. And so he finally makes it there near the end of his life. Guess who greets him there on the dock? A bunch of Christians. So the gospel made it there without them. But these are relatively new Christians. They've spent most of their lives walking very far away from God. So you think you got baggage. It ain't nothing compared to these Romans. Um, and so Paul is writing to these guys, to these uh, men and women, new believers. Paul's just spent 11 chapters talking about all the things that God has done for these new believers. 11 chapters talking about grace. It's been 11 chapters where Paul hasn't given them any com commands. There's been no do's or don't do's. He's just told them what Jesus has done. But now in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he begins talking about what they should do. And so of all the words of advice, look at what Paul tells this church in Rome. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right? Now, I picked these two verses because um, I think they have and include some of the most important mindsets or insights that I could give someone that's just beginning with God, just some foundational mindsets. There's a lot in these verses. I preached a whole six-week sermon series on these two verses, so I've shortened that. You're welcome. But this is just uh, the synopsis of that. So here's the first mindset you need to have. It's going to sound a little weird when I say it at first, but it's going to make sense. Here's the first one. God is for your joy. He is not against it. God is for your joy. He is not against it. As God begins to prepare your heart and begins to walk with you through this first season of growth, and he begins to ask you to do things that you've never done before and to stop doing things that you've never gone without, you have to keep this in mind. God wants to give you joy, the most joy possible. He does not want to take it away. And so you just have to remember, everything that he does from this season onward is done to, uh, with, for, with one point in mind, for his glory and for your joy. This is perhaps the biggest change of mind that you'll experience during this season because here's what you're going to be tempted to think, and I'm still tempted to think it too. The thought is, okay, God's awesome. Um, he saved me. He kind of gave me a do-over when it comes to heaven. And so now I really need to concentrate on staying on his good side. So a lot of these commands seem to be a little outdated Looks like I'm not going to have much of a, a social life now that I'm a Christian. Uh, uh, I'm going to have to give up some pretty fun things, but one day, okay, heaven, I'll have my fun then. But if that's your mindset, then when these persecutions or tribulations come about, you're definitely going to fall away. What you need to realize is the exact opposite is true. Uh, look at what Paul, look at how he kicks off this whole um, uh, section. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in view of God's what? Mercy, on his mercy. He doesn't say in view of God's power. 
He doesn't say in view of God's anger. He doesn't say in view of that burned up patch of grass where God just struck someone dead with lightning because he was angry at him. He doesn't say that. He says in view of God's mercy, in view of God's goodness. And that term appeal, uh, it means to beg or to beseech or to urge. And military generals would use it to call their men out on the battlefield. So here's what Paul's really saying. He's saying, hey, new believers, those of you just beginning with God, because God is such a good God, because he's a good father that gives good things to his children, I beg you, church in Rome, to join me in this battle, this heart battle, and know going into this battle that it is not a battle where you lose your joy. It's a battle for more joy. And it took me years to learn this. You know, we say this all the time around here. God created you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows how life is supposed to work. He knows how life functions best. And all of the commands and the rules that you see in the Bible, they are not there to steal your joy. They're not there so God can just make sure that you don't have as much, uh, any fun here. No, they're, they're actually sign markers on the way to joy. They're how you actually get that life and that life in abundance. Paul's saying here is a God who has given up everything to bring you close, to make you a part of the family, to rescue you. He's given you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. His character does not change now that you're in his family. And you have to remember that. And it's so easy to forget that during this season. It's easy to forget even now. I'll, I'll catch myself thinking, you know, that, that thing that God clearly says no to in Scripture, that seems a little fun. And I have to remind myself, Chase, you did it your way for 21, 22 years. And how'd that end? Not very well. And so you, those of you that are be, going to be beginning with God, so you have to remind yourself, you've tried it your way. 15, 20, 40, 60, 70 years. How's that worked out for you? Not very well. A lot of what you're going to learn in this phase of the journey is just how much you've been settling in your life. You've been settling for counterfeit happiness. You've been settling for fleeting joy, right? G.K. Chesterton, he has a great quote. He says, it's not that Christianity has been tried and been found wanting or lacking. He said Christianity has been, tri- uh, been found hard and left untried. And I think that's so true. This is the easiest season to give up in. You're new at this, right? The seed has just fallen. There's a few little roots that are kind of making their way out. It's really tempting just to go back to your old way of life. You know, that's the thing about living sacrifices. Paul calls us to be living sacrifices. Things about living sacrifices is they have this habit of wiggling off the altar, right? But you got to stick with it. And if you stick with it, you'll find out how true it is that God is for your joy and he's not against it. You see that last line there? He says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul's offering you a challenge. He's saying, you don't believe me, just test it out. Test it out and live God's way and you'll see. It really is the good way to live. It's, it's, way, it's way better than the life that you've been living. And it's not better because God's not going to be angry with you. Jesus already took care of all that. It's better because it's just better. So you've got to remember that God is for your joy. And if you obey him for the long haul, you're going to figure this out. So that's the first mindset. Here's the second mindset that you need to have during the season that I had to remind myself as I was, as I was beginning afresh with God. And this is it. Uh, God is after heart transformation, not behavior modification. So God is after heart transformation, not behavior modification. Look at what it says in verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he picks those words, conformed and transformed, very intentionally. Uh, They're there for a reason, almost like they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. But uh, that word conform is the Greek word that we get our English word schematic from. And so if you want to make something in a factory, you first need to draw up some plans or a schematic. Um, And then then a machine will take that raw material and it molds it into uh, uh, its outward form into the shape of that schematic. And so the ring that I have on right now, my wedding ring, um, it used to be a hunk of metal, uh, but it was conformed into a mold that it was put into. So it was pressed, it was pressured, it was formed until its outward appearance matched just what the jeweler wanted. And Paul says here, he says, stop being conformed to the world. And he doesn't mean, hey, look out for this in the future. He's saying this is a process that has been going on and is continually going on, and you need to stop that process of conforming right now. So what Paul's saying is that constantly, from the moment that we wake up in the morning until we go to bed at night, we walk and we talk and we eat and we sleep under the pressure of our world. Our culture that's all around us is consistently and constantly, desperately trying to squeeze us into its mold. And so from the moment we wake up, we are constantly being pressured to look out for number one, to look down on those that disagree with us. You're being pressured to use your money for you, to buy happiness. You're being pressured to have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want. Um, you're being pressured to, to fight against anyone that, should, that tries to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. And I could go on, but there's, there's a pressure. There's an influence that we're constantly under just by virtue of living in this world. And God says all that stuff that the world is trying to form you into, that stuff the world is telling you on a daily basis, I'm going to give a hard no on all of that, and I want something completely different uh, for you. And so we need some sort of inside strength an inner strength that's stronger than the outward forces pushing in on us. And this is where this word transform comes in. Now, you would actually expect Paul to write something different. You would expect him to say, don't be conformed to this world, but instead be conformed to God's world. That flows better, but he doesn't. He uses a completely different word, that word transform, and it's the Greek word that we get our word metamorphosis. It's something becoming something completely different than it first was, but it has this connotation of a change from the inside out. And so it's a transformation, not of our behavior or outside actions initially, but it's of our inward mind, our soul or our spirit. That's what this season of beginning with God is all about. It's about heart transformation, not necessarily bearing fruit yet. And so in this season, God wants to slowly transform you into the type of person that can obey him, into the type of person that can withstand the pressure of the world, into the type of person that has the inner strength to dig your feet way down deep into that riverbed and fight against the current that you've been swept up in year after year after year. And in order to do that, we need a source of inner strength to break that mold that our culture puts us in, right? We need our hearts to be rewired. Listen, we don't just need to do different things. We need to want different things. We need to love different things. We need to desire different things. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk about um, how in a second, but notice this. If there's an outside pressure pushing in and there's an inside pressure pushing out, 
and I remove that inside pressure, what, what pressure wins? The outside pressure, right? It's like if I'm pushing a truck up a hill and I stop pushing it, what happens? Does the, does the truck just stay there? No, what happens? It rolls back down the hill. That's correct. So listen, there's a conforming that will not stop as long as you live on this earth. And there's an inward transformation that God wants to begin in your hearts. But there is no third option. And you need to hear that today. It's forward or it's reverse, but there is no neutral. And that's actually the third mindset that you have got to keep in mind during this season. When it comes to the Christian life, you will either be becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus. And there's no third way. You'll either be taking steps towards God or away from God. One pastor says, you'll either be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And those are the only two options. I think there's probably some people here today who started with God a few years ago, maybe even when you were children, and you made some huge steps forward, but then over time you stopped fighting in this area or you stopped allowing God to work in this area. And if you're honest here today, you'd have to admit that it's not, it's not that I've paused. It's actually that I feel like I've gone backwards, and you have. And this is why. You'll either be continually transformed or continually conformed. So how? How do we keep this process moving? Well, good news. God's given us an amazing tool, and I already told you at the beginning of this message, but God's given us an extremely powerful tool that reaches past the level of behavior and down into the level of our motivations and our desires. It's a powerful tool that transforms everything it comes into contact with. Can you guess what it is? It's the Bible. Yeah, it's the Word of God. So this is God's primary tool for transforming you. The primary way that God's going to turn you into a different person is through his word. Hebrews 4.12 says this. It says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, it penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the what? Of the hearts. So the word of God is the way that God reaches into that hard soil and breaks it up and creates space for that seed of the gospel to grow. And so uh, when you spend time reading God's word, what you'll find is that your behaviors don't automatically change, although they eventually will, but what you'll, you'll, you'll discover is that you'll slowly start wanting the things that God wants. You'll start desiring things that God desires. You'll start seeing things the way that God sees them. And after a few weeks or a few months of spending time in God's word, the, world, the world's going to come to you and say, hey, this is what you should be chasing after. This is good stuff. And you're going to instinctively just react, well, I used to think that, but I've been testing this whole will of God thing, and I think I'm going to pass this time. And later, the world's going to come to you and try to conform you into its image and say, hey, don't forgive that person. You don't need to do that. You need to make them pay, and you'll just respond. You know what? I was reading this morning, I was forgiven. And I don't have any needs because Jesus has met them and so they don't owe me anything. So I, I think I'm just gonna forgive them this time. And slowly, over time, what you'll find is that you're not just changing your behavior, but you're actually becoming an entirely different person. And when the world tries to put you in that mold, you're gonna say, this doesn't feel as strong as it used to. It just doesn't feel right. I don't fit. It doesn't feel right. And it's the word of God that's causing that transformation in your heart. It's interesting. 
Um, if you were brought up in church, you remember um, reading about the whole armor of God. You know that list, the armor of God? And there's lots of dis- defensive things on that list, right? There's things like shoes and belts and shields and a helmet, but there's only one offensive weapon. You know what that is? It's the sword. And how does it explain? It's the sword of the spirit, the word of truth. It's the only offensive we ha- weapon we have in the armor of God. The Bible's the way that you actually plug in to the transforming power of God. And so in this season, because your hearts are a little rocky, you need to concentrate on and prioritize almost over everything else, getting the word of God into your heart and into your mind. I remember just spending hours a day kind of reading this and pouring through it when I was trying to get my life back on track and God powerfully used it. Your biggest goal is to connect to that power source. And so if you're just new with this, I just want to give you kind of four, a four-step process that you can use even today to leave here and to go to read your Bible. And so um, there's kind of a four-step process that I use every morning It's not super intense. It's really, really simple. But here's what I do. First, you're going to need to set a regular time. Okay, I say if you want your life to change, your schedule has to change too. So your life will never change if your schedule stays the same. And so just schedule in about four to five days a week. I recommend the mornings. That's not a biblical thing. It just happens that every single man and woman of God that I look up to and respect and has a shaping influence on my life happens to spend time with God in the morning. So that's what they do. That's what I'm going to do. So I recommend that. Um, so schedule it in, uh, preferably in the morning, and then open it up to a book. So I recommend uh, Revelation. No, I recommend um, Psalms or Proverbs are really good books. Um, maybe something like the Gospel of Luke. And so you open up that book of the Bible and you just read a few verses or a few paragraphs. And step two, you just want to ask one question. What does this mean? Right? What does this mean? Not what does it mean to you? That actually doesn't really matter. Uh, what did the author mean when he wrote it to the audience? It only has one meaning. And I'll tell you, 99% of the time, this, this question is going to be easy to answer. There are like, a few sections that are kind of complicated, and I might be the only pastor to ever tell you this, uh, but if you're confused by a text, just skip it, right? Just keep reading it. Uh, as you spend time with the Bible, um, a lot of that will become, uh, you'll, you'll be able to understand that. So ask, what does it mean? Step three, what am I going to do about it? So the goal isn't knowledge. The goal is obedience. Obedience is the key. So write down what am I going to do about it and then try to obey it. And it's really cool because it'll give you kind of a gauge on how you're doing in this new journey with God. It'll actually really encourage you. You'll see that you're taking steps to becoming more like Jesus. And then lastly, ask who am I going to tell about this stuff? It really helps to remember and rehearse what you've learned. So later that day, talk to a coworker or talk to a roommate or a fellow student at your high school or college. Talk to your cat or your dog. I don't care. Talk to your, to your wife or your husband. Talk to someone. Um, and it really helps you kind of remember that and really understand it. So it's pretty simple. Set a regular time. Ask three questions. What does it mean? What am I going to do about it? And who am I going to tell? All right? And then just stick with it. So you just rinse and repeat. It takes 21 days to form a habit. So I'm in a discipleship group right now, and the first thing that I did was challenge them, spend 21 days in personal worship time. So you just stick with it. Simple stuff. Do this 21 days. This isn't rocket surgery, right? It's not brain science. Um, But I meant to say that. Okay, but... um, To help out, um, our amazing spiritual life team has put together a 30-day plan just for you. It's got a really creative title called The First 30 Days. Uh, And it's an amazing resource, actually. It's it's, uh, got some Bible verses that you read. It's got a short little one-page article, just a few paragraphs. And then it comes with a two- to three-minute video uh, 
of a conversation between two staff members here at Hope and tons of different staff members from all of our campuses. And so we give this to the people um, that have just recently um, begun their walk with Jesus and have gotten baptized, but it's free to you if you go to resources.gethope.net. And hey, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles that we would love to give, with, to, give to you. So we have plenty to give away. Um, just walk out of here and go to the Next Steps area and we'll give you a Bible. We actually have large print editions as well. So you got two choices. So, but you need to start connecting to that power source, right? It's the most important thing that you can do um, during this season of beginning with God, really any season, but especially this one. So remember that God is for your joy. God's after heart transformation, not behavior modification. And when it comes to Christianity, you'll either be becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus. Now, I know you want me to end there, but I'm not. <laughs> and there's a reason for this. Um, we're in a church, right? If you didn't know that, surprise, you're in a church. And so I think I could hazard a guess that most of us are probably Christians, okay? Maybe, safe to assume, maybe not that Morrisville campus. But here, I know, probably the case. Now, hopefully not all of us are Christ followers. That would be a little sad. We hope people are exploring God, but most of us are Christians. So if I were to ask right now for a show of hands, how many Christ followers, don't raise your hands, but if I were to ask how many Christ followers right now know that you should read your Bible, how many hands would be raised? Probably all of our hands. And then if I said, all right, keep your hand up. If you, read, if you have read the Bible, every day for the past three months. How many hands do you think would go down? I think like 90%, honestly. A lot of those hands would go down. Would go down. And it's not because you don't know you should. You just told me you did. And I refuse to believe it's because you don't know how. You do. I think we highly overcomplicate Bible study. There's probably 10 of you that read a book this year, all right? So you, you've read other books, but all of you have read Facebook updates and tweets, and you know how to dig into a text. Like your mother-in-law sends you a text, and you will agonize over that thing for like two weeks, right? What did she mean by that? What is she implying by that word? So we know how to do this. You know why I think that we don't um, read the Bible like we know that we should and like we know, that we ha- uh, we know how to? It's because after, after lots of conversations and being in ministry, I'm convinced it's because we don't believe that this book is as powerful as God says it is. You think that this is an Advil when God says this is the cure. You think this is a firecracker and God says, no, 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 this is an atom bomb. We drastically underestimate what God can do in our lives through this book. I think there's so many people here listening to this right now, and I know because I have conversations with you, you just feel like you're stuck. Like you're just in this place that you don't wanna be, and there's these habits and these hangups, and you're just stuck in this area, and you don't wanna be there, and so you've tried this and you've tried that, and you're thinking right now, really, the Bible? Like I have three of these on my shelf. Yes, this, this is powerful enough to change you. And some of you have gotten to the point in your lives where you've like, I've been stuck for six months. I've been stuck for six years. I've been stuck for 16 years. I'm never gonna change, Chase. This is just who I am. There's nothing that has the ability to get me out of this rut. And you need to hear today, no. (laughs) There absolutely is a power at your disposal that can incredibly change your life. One of my friends says, you know, you need to measure God's grace by the cross and we need to learn to measure God's power by the resurrection. Listen, God is in the business of radically changing lives. Change is not only possible, 
It is a promise that you can bank on. I was reminded of Isaiah 55 just a few days ago. It goes so perfect with what we're talking about. Isaiah 55, this is God's promise to us, his church. He says, my word shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose. And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And later in that chapter, it goes perfectly with the parable of the sower. It says this, instead of briars will come a myrtle. Instead of a thorn bush will come a mighty cypress tree. Listen, when men and women like me and you come and connect with God's word, fearful men turn into fearless men. Shame-filled women turn into courageous women. Absent parents turn into present parents. Through God's word, addicts are set free. Aimless people discover purpose. Marriages are renewed. Prodigal children come home. Hearts are washed clean. Dead men and women like me and you, we rise from the grave. And I've seen it happen. And I see it currently happening in dozens of lives right now, people that I'm looking at, right? I could tell you story after story, and I'm living proof of that. If you knew the person that I was 15 years ago, you would not believe it. It's not because I've come so far, it's because I was that far gone. But I am not the man that I used to be, and it's because of this. You don't have to stay the person that you are today. You can change. May, that, may those be the sweetest words that you've heard in a long time. You can change change. God can change you. He wants to. He's able to. And he does it through his word. You think if we really believed that, someone would have to twist our arm? <laughs> so you need to get in the Bible. You need to read a few chapters a week. No. It wouldn't be convince me to read the Bible. Instead, it would be how could we not read the Bible? When we look at our marriages when we look at our wives or our husbands or our children or our college roommates or our witness in the world or this battle that's going on over our hearts every single day, how can we not? How can we not be people of the word? And so that's my prayer. That's been my prayer all week that we all go from we should probably do this to how can we imagine not doing this? So for those of you just beginning with God, um, those mindsets were really helpful in my life. I pray that they're helpful to you. So go sign up for those first 30 days and, um, and I'm hoping all the Christian bookstores in the city just call Hope tomorrow. Like, what did you say? We're out of Bibles. That'd be awesome, right? All right, let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and that you have given it to us in love. So Father, I pray that if there's anything that I have said in the past few minutes that don't line up to this Bible, I pray that those words would fall to the ground and die and be forgotten forever. <laughs> but I pray if there's anything that I've said um, that matches your will and your truth, I pray that Spirit, you would somehow use that humble attempt to transform hearts. And so Father, I pray for those that are exploring you right now. I pray Spirit that you would just allow them to realize how much they're settling. There's no joy. There's no happiness. There's no contentment. There's no satisfaction apart from you, God. I pray that they would realize that, that they would call out 
for a savior and that many new relationships with you would begin today. Father, I pray for those that are in the room right now that may have walked in here thinking they're in category three, they're close to you. or Maybe they're centered on you and maybe they've just realized, no, they've, they've been going backwards for years and years and years. Father, I pray that they'd know that um, there's no shame in that. There is no shame in being self-aware and realizing um, they need to get back on track. Spirit, we thank you that you convict because you build up too. And so I pray for them. I pray um, for those of us that, that have been taking steps towards you that just feel like we're stalled. Father, as we go to your word this week, would you meet us there? Would you radically transform us into uh, men and women that look like Jesus? For your glory, um, we pray this, and it's in the beautiful, precious name of Jesus we pray as well. Amen.